Welcome to Mindset Reset Radio. I'm your host, Jess, and I'm on a mission to help female entrepreneurs like you get intentional in life and business. So if you're feeling stuck, you're looking for inspiration, or you just want to be reminded that you're not alone on this crazy entrepreneurial journey, you've landed in the right place. You can join our community of intention getters on Instagram at Jessica Thiefels, that's me, and you can learn more about how I can support you in business and mindset at jessicathiefels.com. Finally, if you love what you hear, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast. I'll be forever grateful. Now, sit back, grab a journal, and get ready to start living with intention. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Mindset Reset Radio. We are here today with Hannah Koenig, who is a business and financial educator, speaker, and also the founder of the Lead Well Summit. Her work is centered around helping entrepreneurial leaders build wealth and become well-resourced by cultivating financial stability, sovereignty, and sustainability. Her work has been featured in Forbes, NPR, Thrive Global, Women Entrepreneurs, CBS, NBC, and more. Welcome. Welcome. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited about this topic. Uh, But before we dive in, give us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Mm -hmm. So I am, for the last five years, I've been helping entrepreneurs build small businesses, build and scale. Um, I've worked with agency owners, brick and mortar businesses, digital entrepreneurs, everyone across the spectrum, and really primarily done more of like bespoke one-to-one high level work because I find that I have the most depth of impact in that space. And, you know, paralleling my own journey, I would say over the last two years, my work has become, I mean, my work has always been about helping everyday leaders be well-resourced because when we're well-resourced, what we're able to do increases exponentially. Mm -hmm. Um, but the last two years, I've really shifted even deeper into the fundamentals of building wealth because um, in my own experience, there's a lot of noise in the space and focus on cash flow. And that can kind of be a roller coaster for people. And your business is an incredible tool for wealth building and, and building tangible wealth. And when I say tangible wealth, I'm talking about um, equity assets, right? A, a stock portfolio, but this tangible value that grants you access, opportunity, optionality. Um, that that has been my biggest passion over the last two years, um, not only in my own journey, but in in helping clients create that sustainability, that groundedness, and that not needing to just, you know, always overdo themselves or, or bring in just insane numbers to mm-hmm. be able to live really well and say yes to the things that matter to them most. Yeah. I love that idea. And it sounds like maybe there's an element for you and working with your clients about like shifting out of that feast or famine sort of entrepreneurial way of living that roller coaster that is so familiar for a lot of people and creating more consistency that gives us that sense of stability. Absolutely. I actually, I think this was at the beginning of this year, I actually wrote um, a post about uh, MRR, monthly reoccurring revenue is not the only way to stop feast and famine cycles in your business. Mm -hmm. And and there are so many 
fundamental um, tools and skill sets that aren't really talked about. So most people, when when they kind of want to make sure that their money is on point, they immediately outsource their power to an accountant or a bookkeeper. But it's actually not your accountant's job to make sure money is good, right? An accountant is just taking a historical record of something that's already happened. And, you know, in my own life, I mean, I did not grow up with, and I I just want to acknowledge, like, if anyone's, if you're listening to this, I already, like, that's a big step because money can be really emotional. It can be charged. It can be confusing. It can be overwhelming. Building wealth sounds really complicated to people. I did not grow up with a financial education. Um, in fact, I we were on food stamps um, when I was a child. It was called the WIC program. I was on food stamps as a young adult. Um, mm-hmm. So I did not have these skill sets. I, I had to cultivate them. And they are very much attainable. Yeah. I love that. I hope we're going to talk. I'm sure we're going to talk about some of those mm-hmm. skill sets and tools in this conversation. Um, I love this idea of financial intimacy. It feels actually, I sort of draw a little bit of a line between I say when I'm working with my marketing clients that you need to be intimately familiar with the data. And I think similarly to money, people avoid looking at the data in their marketing because they're scared of what they're going to find. And I think sometimes with money, we can feel that way too. Um, So tell me a little bit about what you mean when when we say financial intimacy. Yeah. So I teach financial intimacy over financial literacy because most of what's available in terms of financial education is, is just traditional financial literacy, right? Here's the number, here's the system. But if you've ever, you know, tried out a budget or, you know, tried to implement a financial system and then it didn't work, it's because intimacy is only a fraction of the equation. Mm. So money is not complicated, right? Like, Wealth building is not complicated. It's relatively simple math, right? Grade school math, multiplication, addition, subtraction, a tiny bit of basic algebra. That's about it. That's a, that's about it. And we have, you know, calculators. So if it were just about getting the numbers right, we would fill out the spreadsheet and we there would be no reason to have this conversation. We would just move right. on with our lives. Um, but people are incredibly complicated. So mm-hmm. money is just a value system, but we have a relationship with this value system because you know, provision and livelihood and you know, opportunity and options are all tied into this. Um, our experiences, uh, financial trauma, all of these things are very real. Systemic and structural issues all of these things play into our psychology mm-hmm. of money. And so money is this relationship. And when I talk about intimacy, it's not physical intimacy, but I mean depth of relationship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if we were sisters and we never communicated about, you know, our experiences or the ways that each other's actions impacted us, we never addressed them, acknowledged them there might be a lot of fear and confusion in that relationship. There wouldn't be clarity. There wouldn't be ease. So what I help people do through financial intimacy, and there are three tenets of financial intimacy, is really create um, a profound relationship with money, where money is not this thing we're afraid of, 
or we're confused about, or we are avoidant to, Mm -hmm. or we are clinging to because we're just, we're terrified um, or we're chasing after, right? If you think about attachment styles, Mm -hmm. but money is this thing that we, you know, and, and if you cultivate a relationship with money, it can be one of the greatest relationships you have, right? It, it can be that ride or die who, when you decide on the destination is right there to resource you. Yeah. I like the way I feel like shifting the thinking to intimacy versus literacy also it makes it feel more approachable. Like literacy feels so like, like financial literacy feels so like you're in school, you're, you know, you're sitting in, mm-hmm. in a classroom with a teacher standing in front of you. And this idea of financial intimacy, I almost feels like draws me more into it and makes me want to explore it a bit more rather than feeling so like, ugh, I have to learn this kind of thing. Yeah. And it makes you ask different questions. So right. if I'm thinking about it, it from the literacy standpoint, it becomes very binary. It becomes mm-hmm. very right or wrong. Am I smart enough? Am I going to get it Right versus when you think about intimacy, it's like, how am I relating to this thing that is not going anywhere, right? Like this is going to be a part of my life moving Mm -hmm. forward indefinitely. So how am I in relationship with this thing? Yeah. How do I feel about that relationship? Um, And, and is that ultimately the kind of relationship I want to have? Yeah. I love that. And I, I am willing to bet that most listeners have never asked themselves those questions about money. And mm-hmm. so I, I love even just that, but let's, let's jump into the three tenants. So if you can just give us a rundown of what they are. Yeah. The first is emotional intimacy. Mm-hmm. So this is about the thoughts, the feelings, the experiences that we've had that impact our behaviors that could be your financial triggers that could be financial trauma um and and when we're cultivating emotional intimacy with money we are first and foremost creating a safe space to address and acknowledge what is at play right just just awareness and safety because you cannot move into healing without safety mm-hmm. so whether that be, you know, in a partnership where you're working on this relationship together or just with yourself, right? The safety to be like, I'm going to be okay if I sit down and I acknowledge what's really going on here. Um, and then, and then from there, that open space for financial healing that, and it, but it's not just healing. It's also cultivating trust and cultivating vision, right? A safe space to dream, mm. a safe space to imagine beyond what your historic experience has been, right? If I'm only pulling from the past, then I would not be here with you today, right? right? I I would not um, be looking at, you know, close to a seven-figure net worth. Yeah. I I would just be like, oh, that's that's not what we do. But emotional intimacy gives us depth of, um, awareness, depth of feeling, and the safety to transform. So after cultivating emotional intimacy, and and some of this is cyclical, right? Kind of chronological, but some of it is also um, happening simultaneously, right. right? So as we move from emotional intimacy into intellectual intimacy, you know, where we're 
cultivating financial intelligence and we're learning the essential systems and processes required to create stability, things come up, right? When you actually go to, this is my own experience, I had money to pay off my debt. I was holding like maximum balances on my credit card and I had money in the bank account. This is after I started my business to pay them all off. But there was this discomfort of letting it move from the bank account to pay off mm. the debt because it felt like I would have nothing, mm. right? And yeah. and so there was this clinging and I'm like, this logically doesn't make sense, but this is the response I'm having. So as you're building those systems, you will also be working through, it's not one and then the other, but it's an and both yeah. conversation. Yeah. And financial intelligence is important, right? Understanding the simple steps that can support the vision, that can support the um, evolution of your relationship with money. And often what I find is one or the other, right? You can find a financial program that'll give you the numbers and the breakdown, or you can manifest it and wish your way wealthy and write affirmations <laughs> and feel good. But it's it's actually more about the safety to acknowledge what's really going on and build and grow from there and, and to call in the vision. So then financial intelligence, or I mean, emotional intimacy, intellectual intimacy, where you're cultivating financial intelligence, and then you move into experiential intimacy. And this is really the, the freedom and the clarity and even the joy that come as a result of developing both emotional and intellectual intimacy. So this is where you get to experience the opportunity, the options, the access that become available to you. If you think about your closest relationships, those are the relationships where over time you've developed this level of trust and steadiness. And it's not this thing that immediately happens. It's this thing that you can rely on it because there is a history there. Because even if you've had trauma, right, there continuing to build trust and continuing to reinforce um, healthy, you know, boundaries, healthy practices, allow that to begin to dissolve. Or then when you experience a trigger, you have an awareness that exists beyond reactivity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It makes so much sense. And I love how once we get into the practice, like sort of the practical pieces of this and maybe some frameworks and tools, I, I feel like it's bringing, like you're saying, a lot of these pieces together in terms of we're not just getting one or the other. It's like, how does like nervous system healing also work with learning about how to actually manage my finances? Like, how do we bring those things together and how much more powerful the experience can be and the outcome can be when they're all being done, you know, parallel to one another in that sort of combined experience? Yes. Absolutely. And it's like debt, for example. There are, I can think of five different methods for paying off debt. Neither one of them like is necessarily better than the other or more right than the other. It's it's they just have different advantages and disadvantages. And really, if you're paying off debt, it's really what which one can you get behind? Mm -hmm. Not which one is right. And then if you go into that experience feeling shamed and wrong, and like something is wrong with you, which is what many people do when they feel shame instead of like 
I made a mistake. I am a mistake. Mm-hmm. Even accessing any of those five methods is a huge barrier. But you know, mainstream finance is just like, oh, you know, if you're in in debt, something's wrong with you. You're impulsive, right. and not all debt is bad. You know, in business, the right kind of debt is called leverage, mm-hmm. and that that's a tool. So there is no such thing as like debt education in the financial system. There's really no comprehensive credit education, but all of these things are tool. And we have this immense amount of financial power, especially women that goes unacknowledged. And when we start to look at it as a relationship, when we start to look at it from a holistic perspective, um, it's just options that are available to us. And we don't need to make ourselves wrong. We can just stay curious and approach what makes sense for me. Right. Yeah, Yeah. I love that. The first thing I want to talk about as we're going into some of these maybe tools and more practical sort of frameworks for implementing is the trust piece Um, Mm -hmm. and the safety. That's what I really meant to say, but trust and safety. Um, Because I know a lot of people are wondering, okay, well, all two things. How do I know if I need to develop that safety? And then if I do, how do I do it? And because I feel like this is something we hear a lot about, like, on Instagram and in the mindset space is like creating safety. Um, so talk to me a little bit about like what that means and how we can do it. Yeah. Well, from a nervous system perspective, it, it's good to have tools to self-regulate because you will experience triggers. And so if you have space and time to process, that's really supportive, right? Process separate of decision-making. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I'm talking about cultivating safety, I don't mean it in this esoteric sense. And when, when, even when you're talking about trust with money, I get, I actually get this question a lot is like, how can I fully trust money? Mm-hmm. And often what I find is that is not a conversation about trusting money. That's a conversation about trusting self. Right. So the, the tools that help us build that trust and it takes time, right? There is no like vi- magic, I my experience is not like this magic vibration or ritual you can do that takes you out of the human experience, mm-hmm. right? We don't get to bypass that. So it requires a level of getting uncomfortable and acknowledging what is present and then learning the tools to help shift patterns, um, patterns of behavior or ways of operating that are not serving you. And, and so building trust with yourself in the context of your relationship to money is your willingness to go there with money, right? Mm-hmm. Your willingness to actually look at the numbers, your willingness to look at, um, this was me in, in 2020, I, my business had hit multiple six figures. Um, I had a ton of cash flow. I worked my butt off that year. And at the end of the year, I was terrified about paying taxes. Hmm. I didn't know how much I had spent $100,000 into my business that year. Um, I, I had no idea that's how much I spent. It was just money in, money out. And I was, it was exhausting. I was like, this hmm. isn't working for me. And then I had to look at when I was preparing my taxes, um, all of the ways that I was just numb. And just showing up and not actually showing up for that relationship in any way, but like by default, by reactivity. 
So there's some discomfort and that takes time. And I spent all of 2021 really humbling myself and learning what systems do I need to put in place and addressing narratives. Like the word budget to me was, I was like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) That sounds like restriction. It sounds like no fun. It sounds like I won't be allowed to be myself or enjoy my life. Um, You know, why do I work so hard? Right. My experience of actually implementing a budget was the opposite. It was incredibly liberating because it was like, oh, I sit down before every month and I give every dollar a job. And I tell money, this is how I'd like you to show up for me this month. And I prioritize the things that matter to me most over the things that matter to me in the moment or really actually don't matter at all, but we're just convenient. And, and I look at, and I, I I acknowledge, right. So many of the places where the way I was showing up was not in alignment with my values. Money is just a value system, Mm -hmm. right wasn't in alignment with my values and definitely wasn't in alignment with my vision, but it did require that work and that consistency. And when I first started doing that, I was sitting down and doing a money date every week because I, I didn't have that muscle memory or that um, subconscious history of me showing up for that relationship of being able to trust myself when money showed up. And it wasn't that I regretted purchases I made so much or that there was shame around that, but I, I did not feel like I was in the driver's seat, right? Right. Like I was consciously and actively participating in this aspect of my life. Yeah. And question. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think another thing I'm hearing as you're sharing all this is the idea that we get to decide how we want the experience to be. So like you created your budget and you approach, I should say, your budget based on your values and what you want to experience and what feels good for you. And I think so often we think about money and budget and debt and spending as this sort of like you said at the the beginning, like this black and white thing, it needs to be this way. Whereas like we get just like everything else in our life and our business, we get to cultivate and create the experience we desire to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I choose who my partner is. I choose what food I put into my body. I choose what, you know, um, media I will or won't consume. I choose the relationships in my life um, that, are healthy and supportive and the ones that aren't are boundaried or no longer exist, but that's a process, right? And, and it's always a process that we can take responsibility for, you know, there, and, and that was a huge shift for me of like getting to this point where I was like, Oh, I blaming what my parent, my parents for what they did or didn't give me blaming the the world or mainstream finance for what it did or didn't give me is actually not getting me any closer to where I want to be. Right. So it looks like it's on me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, the good thing is I'm pretty capable. The bad thing is I have to address everything, right. you know, the ways <laughs> I've been showing up. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, and through that, you know, I, I built a lot of trust with myself and, and it is, it's, Personal finance is personal. And honestly, business finance can be really personal because for the people who are listening, my guess is you're not Colgate, right? Right. You're not a huge corporation 
um, with a board and a whole lot of money and a whole lot of people who weigh in and sign off on how your resources are used. You're probably a personal brand. Mm -hmm. So personal finance is personal. And for personal brands and solopreneurs or small business owners, business finance is also personal. Yeah. And that's such a great thing because it means we get to decide. We get to be in the driver's seat. Yes. I, I like to think a lot with my business, like I get to steer the ship. And that's what's something I love about being entrepreneur and entrepreneur. And I think we can bring that same empowered spirit and mindset that many of us have in our business into the, the financial space. Absolutely. And, and your business is just, I know I said this earlier, but it's an incredible tool for building wealth. Um, you know, even the way the American tax code is shaped is in favor of small business owners, right? So there are so many opportunities that are available to you. And it does not mean that you have to have a business that you have to have like a six, multiple six, seven, eight figure business to build wealth. And I think that's a common misconception is that you have to have immense cash flow or that you have to have a lot of money to begin building wealth and actually putting that money to work and having that money, right? Make money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Let's, let's share one or two like tools, frameworks, whatever you think would be most supportive for listeners at this point. Okay. So I'm going to kind of walk you through I'm I'm thinking like four or five steps. Great. So the first is a vision. Without a vision, without a destination, setting out on the journey is kind of nebulous. Um, It's really easy to trade what you want most for what you want in the moment when you don't have a direction, when you're not building towards something. So I'm sure just like with business building and marketing, like having that vision is, is really important. And then from there, I recommend doing a financial audit. So whether it's in your business or in your personal life, this is pretty universal. Mm. Looking at what is coming in, what is going out, right? Is that in line with this vision? Is that in line with, in alignment with my values? Um, and, and just having an awareness of that because so many people just looking at the numbers can be scary. Right. And your your responsibility as a business owner to know your numbers. It's your responsibility because that's your responsibility to your mission. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, your responsibility you wanna... to your gifts and your skill set. Yeah. Yes. And I was just going to say, I mean, if you want to grow, you have to. Like, realistically, you can't say, I just, I want to grow a business and refuse to look at the largest piece of growing a business, which is the money, you know, you, you have, you have to be willing to take that step. And like you've said a couple of times, kind of do some of that uncomfortable work. That's just yeah. necessary to get where you want to go. Yeah. It's like driving somewhere and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm driving from Kansas city to California, but I'm not going to look at the gas tank. Right. I'm just not going to look and we're going to go as far as we go. Well, there are only, there's only so far you can go without looking at the numbers. So looking at the numbers and and often that feels a lot scarier than the than it actually is. Once you look, you're like, "Okay, here's where we are." And that clarity can give you direction. So once you've done a financial audit, then I recommend for your business creating what I call an operational buffer. So if you know how much it 
costs you to run your business and how much you need to pay yourself, which is something I want you to think of as a business expense, right? Your first two business expenses are whatever you need to get paid. Um, and if it's a side hustle, that, that might be a little different because you may be resourced another way um, and you may be willing to sacrifice that for a time, but I only recommend that for a time because if your business can't support you, then it really can't support anyone else long-term. It's not sustainable. So your biggest expenses are always going to be you and then taxes. Taxes are automatic. I also want you to look at that as a bill off the top. That money isn't yours. So if you're just putting away, and it depends on where you live, um, but 20 to 30%, and you can also ask a tax professional about this, automatically just put that away. And then the rest should go to operating the business. So once you have an idea of, of what those expenses are and what that looks like, I want you to create what I call an operational bu buffer. So this is um, three to six months of those expenses that is a, a balance that fluctuates in your checking account. Um, in for personal finance, this would be called an emergency fund, but there's a difference because an emergency fund in your personal life is for emergencies. An operational buffer means that you are going to experience cash flow fluctuation. All businesses do. So you have a system in place where you're like, I know that if our slow months, you know, June, July, and August, we don't do the same numbers that we do in Q1 and Q4, that if we dip into that, we're sustained. Right. Not it's not, it's not extra money that's because I want to join this 50K mastermind. It's this is for our operating, right? And then the money outside of that is moved into profitability, is moved into investments expansion. So an operational buffer that's that's meant to be used. Um and ma maintained at like a certain level between three to six months. I don't recommend going over that, right? You're not doomsday prepping. Mm. It's a business. And, and also um, uh, my friend, Amber Duggar talks about this all the time. Currency comes from the word current, right? So, so money is not meant to stagnate. You want to have enough so that your nervous system can relax. And so that you can show up and stay in the driver's seat and be in your creative genius. But, you know, without like, panic pivoting and trying to pull a launch out of nowhere because um, you don't know how you're going to pay your team next month, but just that you have those levels and, and you're maintaining a balance that allows you to continue to operate at a high level. Um, from, from there, I once, once that's in place, um, I highly encourage you to create a cash flow management system. So not just historical tracking like QuickBooks or something like that, but where you're you're sitting down and I call it a wealth strategy. Some people call it a budget, a business budget. Um, I call it a wealth strategy because it, it should be a strategy. It's the strategy, the tool you use to hit your financial goals. Um, and that's gonna be how you want to allocate your resources beyond paying yourself and paying taxes and paying the expenses, right? What percentage um, profit do you want the business to have? Because what you pay yourself is technically profit, but it's not profit beyond your salary. So if you think about yourself as the first employee of the business of you, then 
profit is what happens after you and everything else is paid. And, there and that's- few, Oh, sorry. I wanted to uh, make sure before we moved on, finish what you're saying. And then maybe just, are there a few like key pieces that you would recommend being in that strategy? Like just give us like maybe three key like metrics or buckets that you you would recommend putting in that wealth strategy. Yeah. So this depends on the business. And I will say this is sort of an adaptation of Mike Michalowicz's profit first model, Mm -hmm. which is sort of designed for more brick and mortar businesses and businesses with high levels of inventory. Um, Those buckets depend on what your operating expenses are. But if you're a digital entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. for example, um, or a service provider, you probably have, or you should have pretty low cost of operating. Right. Right. So the systems you have in place, um, I'm trying to think what buckets we have, you know, team, whatever support you have, you're paying yourself taxes. Those are essential systems and processes. Um, beyond that, as we move into expansion and I, I started small and scrappy. So I started this way without financial systems in place, but where, we didn't upgrade all the things all at once. I didn't um, invest in the photo shoot and the branding and the website before I was cash flowing in my business. So from there, you can move into marketing or what does support look like? And, and to find your buckets, I would consider what are your fixed expenses right? The things you're already committed to that you have to have for operating. But beyond that, then what are your non-negotiables? If you're adding to that, is support non-negotiable for you, mm-hmm. right? Some form of support, right? Is is a coach or do you want to allocate a certain amount to continuing education? And as an entrepreneur, there are basically three things I want you to focus on investing in. The first is in yourself and your skill set, because mm-hmm. when you invest in your skill set, you increase your earning potential, right? So then I want you to invest in your business. And that might be, um, that might be taking that earning potential and helping that create cash flow. That might be a system or a process. That might be a strategy. And then from there, when you're creating that cash flow, I want you to take some of that cash flow and I want you to invest that into passive revenue generating investments, right? Assets, equity, et cetera. So that could be the market, that could be um, a a fractional share in a company, that could be um, real estate. There are a lot of different options when it moves to investing, but ways that that money, you're putting that money to work beyond your business because diversification mitigates risk. So it's like, yes, of course. And I know that I have the hardest time having this conversation with people with digital course funnels who spend a lot on ads because they're like, yeah, but that money, I can 10X my returns on um, if I just put everything into ads. And I'm like, I know you want to put everything into ads, but we're going to put, <laughs> we're going to commit a portion into some kind of traditional brokerage account or retirement account. And here's why I have seen businesses that have gone all the way up and then completely crashed integrated. Yeah. Um, and, and you are marketing on platforms that you don't own. Mm-hmm. So just like growing an email list, um, diversifying your money is, is really important. So those are the three ways I want you to think about investing is like, like I'm going to invest in me and my skill set to create 
to increase my earning potential. Blah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to invest in my business to take that earning potential and create cash flow. I'm going to invest in things that passively generate revenue and build tangible wealth to take that cash flow and put that cash flow to work. Yeah. Those are, those are sort of three buckets if we're talking about investing. Um, And then once you have, once you have a cash flow management system in place, um, YNAB is great. You need a budget. There are, there are a lot of Mm. great things, but where you are proactively planning, right? Your business is structured in a way that's structured for profit. You are proactively um, planning how you're going to use the money you're going to make and setting your income goals in a way that makes sense for your business model. It's not just, I want to hit this arbitrary goal because it seems like this industry milestone, but this is actually what I need to do this and to do it well and to be supported. Um, and, And you have those foundational systems in place. I then encourage you to think about, so if you're an entrepreneur, then you don't have um, you know, a 401k through your employer, you are your employer, but you can set up a 401k as a small business owner. This is something I've done. So the, um, the plan administrator for my 401k is my business. Mm -hmm. And then I get to contribute as an employee of that business. And I can match myself as my employer. And I can also contribute on behalf of my partner. So there are ways to build traditional retirement into that plan. Um, and I think that sometimes that's left out of the conversation of the, what's the future game? We just get like, I just need to keep going and make this work. Um, you can also set up um, a brokerage account if you want, but you can set up retirement through your business. And, and the advantage of a traditional retirement account is that it makes that um, that money that you're giving to future you, that you're investing in future you, um, is tax deferred to an extent, right? It's not counted as taxable income. Now you have to keep it in there until I think it's like 59 and a half mm-hmm. with a traditional, with an IRA or a 401k, which is not ideal for some entrepreneurs. Cause you're like, my end game is like 40 um, yes. or, or whatever for some people. <laughs> um, so a brokerage account, you can also set up in your personal life and, and begin investing in that way. Um, that doesn't have the same tax benefits via the government, but it does have more flexibility in terms of when you draw on those funds and when you take money out. And if all of this sounds like whoa, Hannah, hold the phone. Like Mm -hmm. I'm scared to look at the numbers. We're talking about accounts that I've never heard of. Um, I I recommend starting really simple. And and if you're wondering, like, even if I did, what would I invest in? Investing in something like an index um, fund or a mutual fund where you're basically taking your money and you're putting it in many, many tiny baskets. Hmm. Right. So, um, for example, one of the funds, uh, one of the index funds that I'm invested in is the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. And that's like 500 of the top traded companies in the market. You can also start to look at, and, and these are things you can look up, but I, I just want to, it's important that we normalize these conversations that you know right. that these things are even options. Yeah. 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 I love that. Did we get through where do we get through the five steps? I'm trying to think where we yes, are. Yes, we got through, okay. Vision, financial yeah. audit, operational buffer, 
right? right? Uh, cash flow management system, and then some form of wealth automation, right? Once you, if you set up a retirement account for your business, you can automate that withdrawal, just like you mm-hmm. automatically take money off of the top for you right now for taxes. You can also automatically take money out for you in the future. Mm-hmm. And then you have to make sure that once you put that money in that 401k or that IRA that you then invest it. And you also want to make sure that, um, you know, if you're not trying to draw on those dividends, then you want to make sure that those dividends are also being invested. And, And dividend is just the money that your money is making. So then when the money your money is making is reinvested, that means your money is making money that's making money that's making money. And this is where we see that really cool upward tick over time with investing. Um, and women statistically outperform men as investors, even though it's something like only 30% of women are investing right now, we tend to outperform men because we are more risk aware and we do what's called buy and hold, where you just, you put the money in and you don't mess with it and you don't get emotional and you're not trying to time the markets and you're not trying to, you know, win, um, the financial lottery of the investment game, Mm -hmm. you're just steady and consistent and allowing it to accumulate. I love that. I love how tangible it is. And I really like all five of those steps because I feel like no matter where we're at, we can sort of pick up and start like moving forward, right? Like the goal is just to like, I think you mentioned this earlier too, it's just like, let's start small even small steps, there's, it's still forward motion. So where do we want to pick up and where do we think we could use, you know, the most support right now in terms of our financial intimacy and and what's going on with us. So I love that. I love having five really clear steps. Absolutely. And, and that begins to, when you have the, the process is beyond that, you know, there's, there's fun stuff you can do. Um, I like, This year, I turned my first home into a single-family rental property, and in December, I'm closing on my first multifamily rental. Nice. And and I still run my business and all of that, Mm -hmm. Um, and those are investments for the future, but it really doesn't need to be more complicated. You know, it's just most of what I do with money now is like we check in once a month. We, We are in conversation. I have an awareness of when I feel triggered or anxious, right? Like when my, when my scarcity is activated by a a thought or an experience, and then I can sit down and be like, okay, it's okay to feel this thing because what you experienced was real and look at what you have in place, right? Like that the internet could break tomorrow and you still get to pay your team and yourself for the next six months while you figure it out right? We don't have to pull back anything. Um, and so, and, and this year, um, I actually, I, I'm in a pivot in my own business. So I actually chose to eliminate about six figures worth of revenue for my business this year. I pulled a mastermind um, and uh, two courses. And I was like, that chapter is complete. And, and I can sustain that, not not even because of the operational buffer, but because I understand that I actually don't need 
insane levels of cash flow to be able to continue to grow um, and, and be on track to hit my own financial goals as a business and as an individual, right? There's there's space to pivot and maneuver because it's not default, because I'm not wondering retroactively where the money went mm-hmm. or what I have to show for it, right? I've been telling it how it gets to show up and it's been showing up because I've been showing up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I it's love really it. beautiful. Like it's that, it's it the reason we do this work is so that we can experience ease and freedom Mm-hmm. And that we can be fully supported and we can do work that matters to us, right? And and we can share the things that matter to us with the people that matter to us and the causes that matter to us, right? Like money is, a, it's just, it's a beautiful tool. And, and it's so normal if your experience of it is fear and overwhelm and anxiety. And the processes to shift that are actually really simple and really fundamental. Mm-hmm. And when you consistently do that, you get to experience that thing that sounds like a magic pill, but is not right. It's just, it's steady and it's actually kind of boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah which is, it can be really sexy after yeah, it's, it's been great. dramatic for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like, be, yeah, it's like being in a relationship for a long time. It might seem boring from the outside, but it's consistent and it's safe and it's familiar and that's a good thing. And it's intimate, right? But it's intimate in in a different way. In a different way. Right? Yeah. I think about the guys I dated in my 20s. And I, I remember hitting a point where I had repeated the same pattern so many times that all of a sudden, the person who was in front of me, I'm like, oh my God, you would be exactly you with your tattoos mm-hmm. and your self-absorption and your woe is me and your bad attitude would have been exactly what I was into. like eight hours ago. Yeah. (laughs) And now it does nothing for me because what I want is a partner who partners Mm -hmm. and money can be that. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I love this so much. I love what you've given us today. Uh, Before we shift gears, if there is one gem, if listeners walk away with nothing else but this, what would that be for us today? I think it's really important that you, whoever you are listening, um, that you know that you have an immense amount of financial power, mm-hmm. regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the mistakes that you've made. Um, we exist in a world where if you are a woman, if you are a person of color, if you are in the LGBTQ community, if you are first generation, if you have layers of marginalization, then it's very, very likely that your financial power has not been acknowledged. And not only has it not been acknowledged, it's it's been the opposite, right? You may have received messages that have told you that you don't have financial power, that have discouraged you from using that power. Um, and just that awareness of even if you don't feel financially powerful, that power is there and nobody needs to empower you and give it to you right? You just need to learn how to use it. Yeah. 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 Perfectly said. So true. I love that final empowering message because I feel like we just need more of that around money, both the practicality, but but that empowering message and the reminder that it's all within our fingertips. We get to choose it. Yep. And, and it is right. Like when, when our power is mirrored, we see ourselves as powerful. 
Mm. When we are constantly put in experiences where we're fed the opposite or where it's not safe to cultivate and and to use our power, um, we start to feel powerless. And some of that is historically by design. I mean, we're not going to get into that because that could be its old, yeah. old <laughs> like podcast episode. episode. Yeah. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> but know that you're powerful and and that you have the ability to um to fully experience that. And that's why I do the work that I do. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. So shifting gears, tell us a little bit about um what you're getting intentional about right now. Mm. I am getting intentional about there are a couple of things. I'm getting intentional about trying to enjoy and appreciate transitioning from summer to winter. Mm-hmm. This is a thing for me, which is wild because I grew up in northern Wisconsin. Um, but I I tend to feel sad um, during the winter and I have to work really hard to like, I, I like light and I like warm and I'm like not having to wear too much clothing and I don't like it to always be dark. And so I'm trying, I'm, I'm intentionally trying to reframe how I relate to seasonal change because it's inevitable and it, it doesn't support me to just assume that it's just horrible when it's cold. Yeah. And, and actually I was standing outside before this interview and fall is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and just taking that in. Um, and I'm also being really intentional about sharing this work because it's created so much, um, space and and healing and opportunity for me in my own life for many of the people that I work with. And it wasn't nearly as hard or as complicated or took as long as I thought it would be um, to achieve a lot more than I thought was possible. And um and I think that that it's it's almost like a balm for the entrepreneurial journey. I think the entrepreneurial journey is really hard and that's often not acknowledged. Um, it's, it's the most courageous thing you can do to start and to run your own business and, and to put your work out into the world and and to try to make a difference. And I think that often entrepreneurs get so wrapped up in resourcing themselves, um, but without, you know, the full support of the tools that they end up working harder than is necessary um, and holding more. And I'm so disinterested in anything being harder than it needs to be, right? Like the more, the more ease, the more joy, the more support you can have behind you, the better, the closer you get to your mission, um, the better you can serve your work forward. And I just can't think of anything more beautiful that than feeling a sense of peace around your ability to be resourced. Yeah. 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 I love that. And where can listeners connect with you to get more of this yep. juicy magic? I'm on Instagram at I am Hannah Koenig. That's K-O-E-N-I-G. Come say hi. I'm someone who will actually respond to DMs. <laughs> I'm not too cool. Um yeah, just just come say hi to me there. I mean, you can check out my website. I'm I don't actually hang out there, but you're welcome to read the copy that's probably a year and a half old, which <laughs> makes me anxious sharing that. But um yeah, c- come hang out with me on Instagram. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us here and, and sharing all of your wisdom and all this incredible knowledge with us. I so appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Jessica. Yeah. And thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll catch you on another episode of Mindset.